Welcome to Act in Line, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Caroline Roberts, producer and host. As the U.S. continues to wrestle with the fallout of the current pandemic, many people are falling back on their faith and the church to give them peace during these uncertain times. But many churches have decided to protect their members and hold services online instead. Local governments have also stepped in and put up parameters around church attendance to help mitigate the spread of the virus. Some of these actions have been appropriate, but some others leave us wondering when the government has overstepped. So how can we tell the difference and what should the role of the church be during these times? What has the church's response to pandemics looked like in the past? Acton's president and co-founder, Reverend Robert Sirico explains. Don't forget to leave a like or a rating wherever you're listening and check out the show notes for this episode posted at blog.acton.org. That's blog.acton.org. Welcome. This is Dan Huger, Librarian and Research Associate at the Acton Institute. Today, my guest is Father Robert Sirico, co-founder and president of the Acton Institute. Father Robert and I will be discussing some of the heavy-handed, arbitrary, or otherwise capricious overreactions to the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll discuss especially the effects of restrictions on rights of conscience, religious liberty, and access to pastoral care. These issues were the subject of Father Robert's recent article in the American Conservative entitled, When Priests Aren't Allowed to Give Last Rites. Father Robert, welcome to Act in Line, and thank you for speaking with us. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me again. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic has awakened in many people a sense of their duty to protect you know, their own health and, and their family's health and their community. Actions have been taken in workplaces, churches, and among neighbors to help mitigate the spread. Governments have stepped in as well. Uh, some of these actions have been appropriate, and others have been inordinate or, or simply wrongheaded. Where have you seen overreactions, and, and how does one tell the difference between a measured and effective response and an overreaction? Well, uh, these are really pertinent and, and timely questions. Timely, uh, even even for me right now, I'm sitting down to do this interview with you. And you, as many of our listeners and friends would know, I'm also the pastor of a, a parish. And I just got a call from a hospice chaplain that one of our parishioners is dying. And they're at the one of the local hospitals. And the question that the hospice chaplain asked is, I'm not sure if you can get in. I think that they have, in fact, changed their policy. But uh, the fact that that even has to be raised in the moment, in the final moments of a person's life, underscores uh, what we're talking about here. So let's, let's unpack this uh, on several levels. Um, the, the first level is that, of course, we have Everyone has concern for their loved ones, especially in moments of vulnerability. Um, this um, whole pandemic has um, heightened our awareness of our own fragility, 
uh, of our own vulnerability, our mortality, and uh, and this applies all over the place, as you say, workplaces, churches, businesses, and most especially in hospitals. Um, when you ask uh, about the measured uh, and balanced responses and the overreactions, uh, what I want to say is any policy, now this, uh, when I speak about policy, I'm talking about government policy or corporate policies or just social norms. Any of these influencers in society that cut out other perspectives tends to be deleterious to the whole fabric of uh, society's well-being and happiness. What I mean by that is certainly when we're talking about illness, especially contagious illness, um, we have to consider the science behind what, what's going on. So that has to be one factor that measures us. So we can't go into every circumstance in the same way that we would in every other circumstance. The concern on the part of ministers of Christ, of uh, religious leaders, isn't essentially or oughtn't essentially to be their own well-being, but the well-being and especially spiritual well-being of the person to whom they're ministering. When the scientific model dominates and the person who is dying is only seen as a patient, then this, I think, is um, an overreaction. Uh, you have to consider that uh, patients are people. Uh, people with transcendence, people with emotional, social, religious needs. And so tending to the scientific, the medical necessity to protect from contagion, one needs to adjust how people can go about being ministered to and comforted. Uh, certainly people bring in food to the dying, People tend to their needs. They clean the room, various other things, in ways that minimize the risk. This needs to be done uh, for religious ministrations as well and not see this as an unessential service or non-essential service, as they're saying. Yeah, that's that's a distinction that gets bandied around a lot, and it, and it, and it reduces – the human good to really a sort of a sort of it, it medicalizes it, where the human person, as long as they are healthy and they are disease free um, and they are fed, that that's all that they need, um, and and it reduces the human person to you know that that the only reality they have is is that biological one. Yeah. Now, of course, this um, error. This um, overreaction can also occur on the religious side, and we saw that especially early on in this um, this whole issue, uh, when religious people paid no attention to the fact that if you're sitting in church with one another, uh, you can't just <laughs> relate to one another in the way you you might usually in you know hugging and 
carrying on like that. You, you need to take some precautions with regard to sanitation, with regard to distancing, and, and other things like that. So it is a balance on all sides here. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we, we do not minimize, you know, the human good that, you know, health is something that's integral also to the human good um, and, and necessary to our social good as well to, to contain right. and make progress. Now, there's a long history of churches taking a leading role in responses to disease, to plagues, pandemics in particular. What, what does that look like historically, and how does that compare with the contemporary sort of experiences of churches today? Well, you know, in, in a way, uh, it, it's played itself out both on the, the, the element of reason, but also on the element of faith. It's played itself out in a very similar way to the way it's playing itself out now. Here, here's what I mean. Uh, what historians know and what many contemporary people don't realize is that, uh, in fact, the Church was instrumental in the formation of the institution that we've come to know as the hospital. It emerges out of a concern for the dignity of the person that transcends their illness. So you have uh, numerous historic instances of of, uh, clergy, ministers, deacons going into circumstances of the plague and um, ministering to their needs, even at the risk of their own contagion. This uh, eventually, the Christian community began to build institutionally, and the nuns who would take dying people into their convents, providing hospitality for them, providing comfort and care, even beginning the development of primitive forms of medicine uh, and sanitation, uh, these then became the hospital. Um, at the same time, there were there are examples of religious exuberance. So, th- so that takes care of the the rational, the reasoned side of the the question by building these institutions to promote health, uh, maintain life. But on the religious side, the fervor sometimes led to a disregard for. Um, way in which diseases can um, uh, spread. Uh, An example is given in the book uh, by uh, uh, Alessandro Manzoni, who is a a writer in the 19th century, Italian writer. He wrote this famous book called I Promessi Sposi. In English, it's called The Beloved. And it describes a plague in Milan uh, in the 1700s where they wanted to combat the plague and they brought the relics through the city and processed with hundreds and hundreds of people through the whole city, thereby spreading the contagion. So there you see uh, the um, reason and faith not always working uh, in conjunction with each other. That is, that is both, both fascinating and, and tragic. Um, now, Religion plays a larger role in people's lives than just the the provision of of, of care and material comfort, and it also it also takes forms of of, of consolation um, that don't suffer from the excesses of that sort of enthusiasm that 
that ignores and minimizes uh, reason. Have you seen a revival in interest in religion during this pandemic as people sort of search for sources of hope, uh, sources of meaning in a time when uh, death is closer? Um, It's not actually closer. Um, Death is always sort of with us. But in times like these, uh, uh, it's it's more in the forefront of people's minds. Well, obviously, I mean, this happens, of course, historically when war or catastrophe takes place. And uh, I I suppose that almost every um, minister or priest or rabbi that you're going to speak to is going to tell you instances of people coming to reflect more deeply on their lives in the Catholic context, to go to confession more regularly. Of course, the particular circumstance that we're, we're confronting right now makes it more difficult because the general way in which religious people, you know, worship is some form of corporate worship so that people gather together, uh, receive Holy Communion, things like this, very intimate um, relations of, uh, of spiritual uplift. Uh, and what you've seen uh, on the level of charity are the first responders really have been religious communities um, tending to people's needs, visiting people in their home, shopping for them, providing food, sustenance, things like that. Um, I would be so bold as to say, I think in the immediate aftermath of all of this, we're going to see a pickup of religious devotion and fervor. Now, how long that will last, I don't know, because after 9-11, we saw that, and it went for about a year. So I think this is the opportunity to ground people more deeply in an understanding of themselves and in their relationship to eternity. And it's, it's, it's difficult for people in this context when they have these questions that they, they don't have access to those to those forms of corporate worship and in many cases because of of either government regulations or or stipulations that churches themselves have uh, have promoted uh, in the interests of public safety um, how would you advise individuals who are having those sorts of questions um, and who might not have access to um, religious institutions in, in, the, in the way that they normally do, how would you recommend someone, someone pursuing those questions in this time before people can once again gather for regular public worship? Well, you know, there is a history um, of... of spiritual and mystical theology there's a history of uh, even persecution where where uh, believers could not associate uh, with others uh, people who were imprisoned or isolated in one way or another uh, all sickness in a way or at least serious sickness isolates people from other people and there's a whole body of literature um, of people who have reflected upon this, of who who have um, deepened their prayer life. It underscores the necessity to have this this um, what you might call the mystical or the prayer dimension, the transcendental dimension of one's spirituality, so that you have resources to call upon. 
I mean, at the core of religion anyway, is this reminder that there is something more to who we are, to our dignity, than the physical and and even uh, social components of our existence, that there is a relationship to God that needs to be focused on. And these are the resources that we need to cultivate and now promote in, in this particular context so that one's uh, spiritual, spirituality is maintained and, and even strengthened in this circumstance. Yeah. Times like these can be um, an occasion to, re- to renew commitments to spiritual reading, to renew commitments to prayer. Even, even the lessons of uh, uh, solitude and isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Now, religious instruction or religious formation um, is, is not limited Merely to expressions of corporate worship, and it and is also also not always not always uh, an individual experience, but takes the form of pastoral care. Um, some of the issues that you were talking about uh, as we opened our conversation. What sort of restrictions are you seeing in that context? And what do the presence of those restrictions tell us about? sort of the, the assumptions of the human person underlying them. Well, we, we've talked a little bit about that at the beginning. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, what you called uh, scientism, you know, the notion that the whole of the human person is defined by their biological reality, their chemical reality. Uh, and we, we really have to see beyond that. The, the real challenge, let, let me just kind of turn it around a little bit, and underscore the fact that there isn't just this negative thing, whether it's on the part of government or, or on the part of, um, you know, certain restrictions about numbers of people that can gather. I think there's a positive element, and I, I see this in, in a variety of um, uh, contexts, um, to utilize the, um, the technology available uh, of course, the, the streaming of religious services, of Bible studies, of support groups, uh, a variety of things like that. We, we've done that in my own parish where we've had, we have a school as well, and our school has continued. Uh, every request that we've had from parents, I'm told by the administrators of the school, have been met. The classes are ongoing. We're learning how to do it, you know. Uh, same thing with religious worship for for ourselves. It doesn't replace the personal uh, relation thing, the the kind of communal worship, but it can supplement it and augment it and help us get get through this uh, period of uh, isolation. One one of the wonderful things in this time, I had a, a very good friend extend an invitation to me to a. Uh, to a, a, a Bible study that he was regularly involved in. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, absolutely. I, I, you know, I have the time now. Um, and that's been a wonderful community. And it's been a wonderful invitation 
to fellowship, and there's been genuine care that's that's happened uh, between members of the group, even even at this distance. It, there are a whole host of new possibilities that have opened up, and I think this too is going to be an ongoing legacy. We, we very often talk about uh, what the new normal is going to be, and I think um, certainly. This has broken down a lot of the reluctance of people to utilize um, modern forms of communication and technology. Uh, I feel far more adept, not that I am adept, (laughs) but far more adept and less um, reluctant to use these various streaming services and video services. Uh, for a variety of things, you know, whether it's marriage preparation or Bible study or counseling of some sort uh, like that. So uh, these things, I think, are going to have an ongoing effect as well. And it's also, I mean, as you, as you were describing that, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm also leading a book discussion at this time. And this is this is a time, and, and when I I offered to do that. It was sort of like, you know, I have some familiarity with these sorts of things. Um, And this is an opportunity for people to be of service to each other who might have those technical proficiencies. Um, And there's always, always opportunities to assume responsibility and leadership and service to others. And, And think of the way it breaks down the geographical boundaries, too. You know, this can be done. If it can be done for and with someone in my parish and in my locality, it can also be done throughout the world, really. This, by the way, um, is part of what we're doing at the Acton Institute right now, just thinking about how we can um, continue our mission uh, and use different techniques in the delivery of what we do and what we produce, the arguments we make and the encounters we invite. And I think in the coming months, uh, the people who follow the work of the Acton Institute are going to find a lot of very innovative and creative things that are going to be coming on online. Absolutely. Um, we have we've dedicated a lot of our sort of intellectual resources to thinking through how this crisis affects work, how this affects worship, how this affects uh, the economy, and how it affects, yeah, this, um, this presents challenges to engaging in ideas and finding an audience, but it also opens up all sorts of doors to reach people in in new and compelling ways. Yes. Yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. <laughs> well, Father Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would tell our audience um, if they're interested in, in more of Father Robert's reflections, he's been doing a series of video treatments of different aspects of this sort of ongoing crisis. There was one I saw that just went up this morning, Father Robert. Oh, did it? Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. But that, is, that has been a continuing thing, and I know that has been very helpful for people in thinking through the various dimensions of this. This is a time when a lot of people have a lot of anxiety. Um, they have a lot of questions, and... Uh, It's good to have a balanced 
thoughtful perspective on those issues. And that's and that's something that you've certainly been sharing and, and also something that you shared uh, on these particular questions of, of religion and rights of conscience in this uh, piece in The American Conservative. Well, thank you again so much, Father Robert. And, uh, Delighted to be with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thank all of you out there for listening. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you and your family are staying safe during these times. If this episode was encouraging to you, please share it with a friend or a family member who also might enjoy it. And let me know what you think of this episode. You can reach me at actonline at acton.org. To make sure that you never miss another episode of Acton Line, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We are on YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found.